This morning I'm taking you through the rest of Acts chapter 2. Uh, we'll put the reading up and just follow it through. Let me give you background, especially those of you who are visiting this morning. So glad you're with us. You're very, very welcome. We've just begun at the beginning of the year a series in Acts. Um, halfway through January we started it really. And what's happened so far is obviously Jesus uh, has been with his disciples. Luke, who's writing the book, tells us that he spent uh, 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then he said, you're to wait in Jerusalem. You're going to go all around the world. They had no idea really what that meant. They didn't have Google Earth then, uh, or flights, or big cruise liners. He said, you're going to go all the way around the world, and you're going to talk about the things that have happened with me coming, and everything I've seen and taught, and you're going to tell other people about it. But you must wait for power. And then last week, uh, Jonathan opened up the beginning of Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit comes uh, upon the disciples, falls upon them. There's no other way to describe it. There's a story, the verses of tongues of fire, rushing wind, um, and then a great noise because the disciples all start speaking different languages. And it's not something that they've picked up at language school. Um, and everybody in Jerusalem who's come in for the special celebration, the special feast that's going on, Passover, um, lots of them have come in and speak different languages. And they say, hang on, we, we can understand them. What's happened? They're just from Galilee, but they're speaking in our language. And some people say, no, they're just drunk. Um, and that's important because we're going to pick the story up just after that comment. So that's what's happened. Jesus has said, you're going to go to the world. But first, you need to be filled with power. The Holy Spirit's going to come. Jonathan talked us through last week those first few verses that many of us, if we've been around in churches for a, a long while, we'll, we'll know those verses. We'll know how central that is with the Holy Spirit coming. I'm going to read the rest of the chapter, so it's quite a long reading. Um, Jonathan will be back next week to finish off the chapter. I've got the bit in the middle, so let's go. Acts 2, verse 14. <clears throat> so people have just said, we can understand. Others are saying, they're drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, the crowd, huge crowd, men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. That's nine o'clock in the morning. And this was before 24-hour licensing, okay? So in other words, the pubs aren't open. And in the, just ahead of the bit we're picking up, it says specifically in some translations that it was new wine they'd been drinking. In other words, the first kind of wine, and that's important, new wine they'd be drinking, because it wasn't quite the season for the good stuff to come out. So they say, oh, they've been all on getting, having new wine. Peter says, well, the pubs aren't open yet. It's only nine in the morning. But this, what you're seeing, this is what the prophet Joel talked about, verse 17, and he's quoting from one of the prophets now. In the last days it will be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons, your daughters, they'll prophesy. Your young men will, will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my male servants, my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they'll prophesy. I'll show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor, and smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it will come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Just pause there for a moment. So Peter is saying that this has got nothing to do with wine. This is what one of the prophets said, and he quotes Joel. Lots of the Old Testament prophets talked about a day that would come when God would act. 
And Peter is saying, it's that day. It doesn't look anything like anyone thought it would, but it's that day. So he's talking to a predominantly Jewish audience, and he's saying, the thing we've been waiting for is happening. Then he goes on, because he's about to quote David now. Having quoted a prophet, he's going to quote one of the famous kings. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. For those of you that know this expression, Peter has just dropped the mic. This is what Joel spoke about. This is fulfillment. And this Jesus who did all these miracles, you know of him. Remember, it's not that long since Jesus was around. All of Jerusalem knew what was going on. People coming into the city would have heard of Jesus and the miracles that he did. Whether or not they believed in him was another matter, but they heard of him. And Peter says, this is what Joel said, this Jesus is the one, God verified it by the miracles, boom, you killed him. Oh, thanks Pete, really important. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it wasn't wasn't possible for him to be held by it. So now he quotes King David. David says concerning Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You'll make me full of gladness and your presence. Brothers, I say to you, this is Peter again, with confidence about the patriarch David, he died and was buried. His tomb is here to this day. Peter quotes David and says, you'll know he's dead. In fact, you can go and visit his tomb. Because what Peter is saying is, David said these things, he clearly didn't mean them about him. Because David's dead. So in terms of his soul not tasting Hades, it can't be him. David's talking about Jesus. That's what Peter's saying. So the prophet Joel spoke, that's what you're seeing. And as for Jesus, well, your King David, the one who someone will come after him, even he talked about Jesus. So Peter's trying to convince the crowd. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, was, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So Joel spoke about it, even David talked about it, and this Jesus has been raised, and he is now giving this Holy Spirit. So that's what's going on in these verses. Okay, so far? Come on, a few more nods, please. Just, if nothing else, humor me. Thank you. Being therefore exalted at right hand, we've read all of that. Verse 34, David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, the Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? They didn't get it when Jesus was around doing the miracles, but they're getting it now. 
This Jesus was sent by God. David spoke of him. Joel spoke of him. These disciples are speaking in languages. There's clearly power here. Something is going on. And now we understand. What must we do? Peter said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You will also then receive this gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise, it's for you. It's for your children. It's for everyone who's far off. Everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those that received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's a big baptism. They'd have gone down to the river and baptized them. Now when it says that day, does it mean the rest of the day baptizing them? Yes, quite probably. They could have got that done. Kind of a bit of a rotor, a bit of an arm ache. Do you believe? Yes, I believe. Then you go. So 3,000 in one day. What a turnaround. A, few, a month, a bit longer than that, before that, the crowds were crying for Jesus to be killed. Now he's raised, he's ascended into heaven. We looked at that the other week. He's poured out the Holy Spirit and 3,000 believe. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we're not simply studying history. We are because these things happened. But your word isn't simply a history book. It's alive. It speaks today. Lord, speak to us. For many of us, Lord, maybe not all, but for many of us, the subject of the Holy Spirit, and particularly this story is familiar. Lord, for churches like ours, the work of the Holy Spirit matters. But Lord, I pray you'd speak afreshly to us. I pray, Lord God, for all of our situations that we're facing, your word would live. Lord, that there'd be things that come to us to strengthen and equip us. There'll be things to increase our hunger to know you more. So, Lord, speak, we pray. Amen. To help us understand the importance of this, let me just, by way of intro, make an illustration. We got given a cinema voucher at Christmas, so Heather and I have been to the cinema a few times. Um, Fortunately, it's been helped because there's films that we both wanted to see. Um, The reason why this is so unusual, you think, what's the big deal about going to the cinema? Heather and I hardly ever go because we can never agree what to watch. So, married 29 years this year, and, and the cinema and also music is one of those things where we think, how on earth did we end up being together? We have absolutely nothing in common. But there have been some films we've both wanted to see. Fortunately, Heather managed to find someone else to go to La La Land with her, so I didn't have to do that one. <laughs> but there were, yeah, thank you. <laughs> do I hear an amen? I hear an amen. <laughs> uh, I'll let you all argue about that one. So there's a few others, a couple of others that we've seen. Anyway watching the film, and I'd forgotten, because it's been a while since I've seen, been to the cinema, about the tradition of halfway through someone deciding they need more popcorn. Um, so up they get and off they wander, or a drink, or somehow they're desperate for the loo again. And, and I know you can't necessarily control that, but you're sitting there thinking, don't leave at this point. You're going to miss something really important. It's a really important scene. And when they come back in, are they going to understand? And will they be chatting? And all of that. And they're understood. If you've paid that amount of money to go to the cinema, why walk out halfway through just for a bit of popcorn? Um, But there you go. You miss an important scene. The reason for (coughs) mentioning that is you miss a scene. Everything can kind of change in the story at that point. You can find out that the hero isn't a hero or... You can find out that something which happened earlier, you didn't see the whole thing. Something else was going on, and now everything's changed. 
Well, it's like that with this chapter. This chapter's a bit like that. For years in church history, people have liked to skip this chapter. But the thing is, if you skip it, everything changes from the story now on in terms of God's plan. The work of the Holy Spirit, what's happening in this chapter and these verses and the reason for spending so long, not simply doing the first few verses um, or grouping it all together, but taking three preaches in this one chapter, is because everything changes. You turn your pages too quick in your Bible and nothing will make sense. Following Jesus doesn't make sense unless you have these verses. Understanding the work of the Holy Spirit and why God has sent him to us is vital. Johnny put it this way the other week. Remember when Johnny was with us and he talked uh, from the first chapter about how vital the testimony of Jesus' resurrection was and how when the disciples were saying, we need to appoint someone else because Judas has gone, they must have seen the resurrection. And Johnny used that as an opportunity to strengthen our conviction in the resurrection and saying we don't only have to believe it because the Bible verse says it. There's an awful lot of other evidence. But Johnny said this, something which many of us know, without the resurrection, there's no Christianity. Without the resurrection, there is no story. There's no point. It just, it just becomes another set of a good teacher who said these things and could fit into every other world religion because that's what they all do. We had this teaching. We had these holy writings. We had this prophet. Jesus becomes another one of those. What makes it distinct more than the power of what he said and the power of his miracles, is he's alive. That's worth listening to. He's alive now. That's what makes it so unique. We have a story because Jesus came alive. Here's the thing with this chapter. You don't know how to live in the story unless you understand this chapter. If you can understand that Jesus is alive, but you don't know what it means to follow him or how to follow him unless you understand the work and power of the Holy Spirit and the importance of it. For years... I grew up in the church. I thank God for it. I had a, an upbringing that I, I, I don't want to throw away in any sense of the word. I was the son of a preacher and all of that. There were a few challenges, but we were more privileged than anything else in terms of hearing God's word from a young age and understanding it. I had to work it out for myself. I went on all of that journey. But the Holy Spirit didn't get much of a shout. He got mentioned at the end of prayers in the blessing, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What was that? What's the Holy Spirit? I know the Father, I know the Son. What's the Holy Spirit do? Oh, don't worry about that. He'll just, he's there. He does things. And every now and again, you come across people that talked a lot about the Holy Spirit. But the tradition we grew up in, we were told that that was a little bit odd or weird or exaggerated and everything else. So we didn't know much about that. It wasn't until much later when I had teaching like we can take for granted in our church and received the Holy Spirit in a new way, been working my life already, but received him with power, I then knew how to follow Jesus. I'd been trying to do it by myself. I'd been trying to work hard. It had become rules. I knew I wasn't saved by rules, but it wasn't long before I wrote my own rules, or the church wrote them for me, in terms of how much I must pray, how much I must read the Bible, how much I must do this and, do this and don't do this. Listen, there aren't, we're going to see... Jesus has taken care of all of that. You follow him in the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, there's awful not, not a lot of joy and happiness around. This chapter is vital. The understanding of the Holy Spirit has divided churches and denominations for years because people have skipped this chapter. We've been fearful of the supernatural because of kind of everything that happened a couple of centuries ago and the Enlightenment and the truth can only be true if you can see it, touch it, explain it. 
We've kind of shut down on anything supernatural and doesn't fit that box, which is a bit strange when we worship a supernatural God. By very definition, our whole faith is supernatural. By very definition, we worship a saviour who came back alive again. But we draw, in some traditions, we draw the line there and don't want to know anything about the Holy Spirit being poured out and supernatural things and joy and people being accused of being drunk or things that don't fit in the box. We've been scared of emotionalism. We'll let out a cheer when with four minutes to go an English rugby player just gets over the try line and avoids an embarrassing defeat. But when it comes to here, and Mark kind of makes a semi-joke about a dancing wedge, there's a few of us who feel a little bit uncomfortable because we don't want too much emotion in our worship. Forgetting that God is a phenomenally emotional God and we're made in his image. Now emotionalism and all of that we kind of want to leave to one side. But in terms of passion in worship... In terms of knowing God's presence powerfully with us, that's what goes on in this chapter. That's why we're going to spend time here, because everything changes. You don't understand how to live in the story if you don't understand what is happening in this chapter. And the church, some of the church, has missed this for ages. Some of us as as individuals can still miss it. So let's look at some of the things that are going on, because what's important in this chapter is that Luke links so many of the things here into earlier parts of the story. That's what I want us to see. So to let us know this is the same story, to let us know this isn't just an interruption, this isn't just a one-off, here's the Holy Spirit, a few wacky things happen, people speak funny languages, people accuse of being drunk, that's that chapter. Now let's get back to good old-fashioned gospel preaching, please, and talking about repenting of sin. Now Luke fills in lots of themes that run through God's story up until this point. And that's what we're going to look at. A lot of new things happen in this chapter that actually have been talked about for ages. First thing I want to highlight, though, is Peter. There's a new Peter in this story. You follow the Gospels, the last time you see Peter, he's he's denying Jesus. Now, the very last time is on the resurrection morning, and he's trying to work out what's happened. But just before that, You've got Peter on the night Jesus was arrested and a servant girl comes to him. John zooms in on this out of all of the Gospels. And a servant, a young girl comes to him and says, I know you, you're with Jesus, aren't you? You've been hanging out with him. You're one of his followers. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. And this happens three times. Just before that, a few hours before that, Peter said to Jesus, I'm going to follow you anywhere. No one's going to take your life. I'll make sure of that. And I'm going to follow you forever. And Jesus said, I'm sorry, Peter. It's, that's not your story at the moment. Before the morning comes, you will deny me. Peter says, no, I'm not going to deny you. Sure enough, within less than 24 hours. But what's happened to Peter? So a month before, with a young girl, Peter's like, I didn't know Jesus. Leave me out of this. I've got nothing to do with it. One month later, Peter is out in the street talking to a massive crowd, not only saying, yes, I was with Jesus, yes, he's alive again, but you killed him. What's happened to him? That's a huge change within a month to go from a coward to someone, he was scared of the authorities, he was scared they'd come for him like they came for Jesus. The authorities are still there. In the next chapter, we'll meet them, and so will Peter. And they'll pick him up for preaching and everything else. So he was running from all of that, confused about what Jesus' mission was and who he was. And now here he is publicly in a massive crowd saying, you need to believe in Jesus. What's happened to Peter is he got filled with power. 
he got filled with the Holy Spirit. Part of our vision as a church, we want to see Jesus talked about an awful lot in the city. We're not going to do that unless you and I understand the power of the Holy Spirit. At school, I had such a miserable time at school, guys. If you think you've got it hard, I tell you, being the son of a vicar, we moved into a new house. None of this is in my notes. Oh, dear. We moved into a new house. My dad was having a break from ministry. He was between kind of churches for various reasons. Nothing had gone wrong. He just, so he wasn't actually working as a pastor. And on day one, I'm walking down the street. I know no one. And someone comes up to you and says, is your dad the Pope or something? And I thought, please. He doesn't do that anymore. We're not Catholics. He was never the Pope. And can't you just say, hello, what's your name? My name's so-and-so. And we're neighbours. That was it. I was marked from day one. That's why I was so upset. From day one, everyone thinks, oh, your dad's the Pope. So there are times when... I, it's weird. don't know how they knew. This was before Facebook, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> this was before social profiles. I had no idea. Walk into school, someone kind of one day rip into you and sometimes it's a bit physical because your dad's a minister and they don't like that and all that kind of stuff and I'm without the power of the Holy Spirit trying to live and I'd have days when weeks when I just think I'll give up can't be bothered I'll just be like anyone else and it can be the same at work and it can be the same when we're kind of fighting for some credibility you think well I want to talk about Jesus but I'd like some credibility I'd like people to hear me and not just have a laugh it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's what transforms Peter that's what gave him courage being credible, being able to engage in culturally appropriate ways, those things can happen, those things can help. But in the end, if you and I are going to see Jesus work in this city in the way that we long to, we need to keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to know him working in us, not simply in a worship meeting, but when we're sitting in a difficult meeting in the staff room at school, or when we're with our mates in, in, in a break time, or when we're sitting in a difficult budget meeting and someone's making decisions which we think, hang on a minute, there's another way of doing this. But how do I do that? How do I talk like that? I, I'm not going to open up any of these things. I'm just highlighting the importance of the work of the Holy Spirit and how you don't want to skip this chapter because you can't live in the story without it. And I know that for many of us, these things are simply a reminder this morning. Well, well then that's good enough. Let God's word be a reminder of the essential role. Peter, coward to being filled with confidence to make Jesus known. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in him. New Peter. Next thing, this new wine that they're talking about, and Peter's saying, hang on, we're not drunk, but it was still new wine. What was Jesus' first miracle? Come on. I've spoken for enough. Water into wine. Ever thought, why? Other than he knew how to have a good party. So the story goes, for those of you that don't know it, it's in John's Gospel. Um, they're at a wedding. Jesus hasn't done any kind of public healings or teaching yet, really. And uh, the wedding, they run out of wine, which is a massive embarrassment, a huge, huge shameful thing to happen. And so Mary, Jesus' mum, says, just do what Jesus tells you to. And you think, how does she know? Has he done this before? Has he practiced at home growing up? Look what I've done, mum. I, I don't know, but somehow she knows. So anyway, they fill up the stone jars because Jesus tells them to with water, and he tells them to serve it, which just must have been really freaky. You think, I'm not going to serve water. And as they serve it, it's the best wine anyone's ever had. Why does Jesus launch his ministry like that? Because the good news, the gospel, is meant to be better than drinking good wine. A bit later, just to back this up in Luke, I know it's a long time ago that we looked at Luke chapter 6, um, years ago. It was actually, for those of you 
who don't know the story. It was actually our last preaching series, but it seemed to take us years. Luke wrote it quicker than what we studied it in. But in Luke chapter 6, in fact, it was almost, if you look back, it was almost as if we were started studying it shortly after it was first published. I don't know, but it was that long ago. So Luke chapter 6, Jesus and the Pharisees are arguing about law and the right way to fulfill the law. And Jesus says this. He says, I'm going to bring in a new wineskin. You want new wine for what I'm doing. You're talking about an old wineskin. No one knew what he meant. So Jesus turns water into wine. Then he's talking about the law with Pharisees. And he says something really cryptic. This is the old way. This is the old wine. There's going to be new wine, and you want a new wineskin, and that's what I'm doing. And so the mention of wine in Acts 2 is really important because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the new wine. It is the new thing that Jesus is talking about. Jesus has fulfilled the law. The law matters. It's important, and I'll say more about it in a little while, but actually Jesus is doing something new. What is that new thing? It's new wine. It's better than that. It's the Holy Spirit. So with them being accused of being drunk, yes, there's all the cacophony of them speaking different languages, but there must have been a lot of laughter, a lot of joy, a lot of happiness. Otherwise, people wouldn't accuse them of being drunk. Yes, it was definitely the languages. I'm not going to read more into the text. But there must have been a lot of joy and happiness. The Holy Spirit was filling their hearts with joy. They were beginning to understand what had gone on and what Jesus had said to them about making him known everywhere. Here's the thing. Living in the story is meant to produce joy in us. And you only know the joy through the work of the Holy Spirit, God being present in you, not only in an intimate worship time, but where you live and where you work. And that's why this chapter can be so important. Some of you now have almost broken into a smile. The English culture and what we think is religious and honors God has robbed the church of a foundation thing, which is when you're filled with the Spirit and He reveals Jesus to you more fully and you know Jesus has conquered death and He has ascended and is ruling and reigning over everything and because He is risen, we will rise as well and we needn't fear death, we needn't fear political rulers, we needn't fear what will happen in our office this week because Jesus is sovereign and ruling over everything. Breaking out into a little bit of laugh is worship and honoring of God because that's the truth. And yet, thank you, and yet so often, we're looking to our worship leaders to lift us. We're looking for a song to grip our hearts. We're looking for someone to come to us and cheer us up, or some kind of breakthrough. Jesus has done the breakthrough. Now, I'm all for God. You know, goodness, you know me and know what I'm passionate about. I'm all for God coming to us in a moment and making something known that we need to see afresh and that changes a work situation for us or breaks through on a, 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 a trap we've been in of, of just looking at ourselves and thinking we can't do this. I know that's important. I know that matters. I know God doesn't simply say, I've done this once, so get on with it, please. I've done this once and I want to remind you again and again, yes, that's the God we follow. But let's do it from a place of knowing that Jesus has won the breakthrough, the enemy is defeated, your life is secure in him forever and ever and ever, and it's the Holy Spirit that makes that alive. Without the Holy Spirit, it becomes a doctrine or a mantra that we try and repeat to ourselves, pull ourselves up and think, come on, Jesus is in charge, I'm going to be happy today. And that's how I lived for years, before someone explained. Now, when you know God's present in your life, 
and it's real, and you're not just saying, oh, if I read the story, I know Jesus is alive. No, the Holy Spirit makes it alive in you, then you needs to be a lot more joy around the place. And there needs to be a lot more liberty in terms of how we celebrate him. I'm not talking primarily about what happens in an hour's meeting on a Sunday morning, I'm t- although it should change that. I'm talking about how we live in the week. So the references to joy in this passage, the things that Peter highlights about David said, my heart will be glad. We kind of skipped over that, but it was in the reading. There's another place where it talks about joy. That's meant to be our story, not because we feel we've had a good week, not because we feel we've prayed enough, but because we know the presence of God in our lives through the work of the Holy Spirit. In our worship, we can be fear of emotion. We can be fearful of dishonoring God. Listen, God's made it very, very clear what biblical worship looks like. It says that rocks cry out, trees clap their hands. That's the kind of worship God likes. You look in the book of Revelation, and you look at chapter 19, just as we're coming into the crescendo of the kind of great, it's pictured as a marriage feast, and there's an awful lot of shouting going on that the writer says it sounds like a massive waterfall. We need to loose some things for our praise and our worship but it comes from the Holy Spirit working in us, not us whipping it up or trying to lead in a certain way. It comes from the work we do in the week and of believing texts like this and knowing the Holy Spirit is in me. So biblical worship can be a little bit louder, but let it be because of the work of the Spirit and not because of something we're trying to make happen. I need to move on. So new Peter, new wine. It's a whole new day. That's the whole point of this story. All the news I'm talking to you about could be summed up in this. Because Peter is saying, it's fulfilled. We've waited for this. Jewish people, this is what Joel spoke about. This is our story. This isn't something different. This is what David spoke about. And Peter's going for continuity in the story. You're asking, what is this? It doesn't look like we thought it would. A descendant of David, a carpenter's son, Jesus. Yes, it's him waiting for the day of the Lord. The Old Testament prophets use this phrase a lot, the day of the Lord. They knew, and God had shown them, which is why they talked about it, that a day would come when God would act and it would affect the whole of the earth and that righteousness would come instead of uh, injustice. And Peter's saying, this is it. This is the day of the Lord. We thought he'd come and take care of Rome. We thought he'd come in a military kingdom. We thought he'd come with a political kingdom, secure our borders, and make Israel great, like David did. That's not what Jesus is doing. That's not what this day is about. He's doing it by coming through his Holy Spirit and pouring it out, not just on one or two, but on everybody who believes in Jesus. This is a new day, a day of fulfillment, The Jewish expectation that God will come is happening right now. And that didn't didn't (coughs) fulfill how they thought it would look, but it was coming. And Peter's saying, this is it, don't miss it. That's why it says, with many other words, he persuaded them. Numbers of people have said when it comes to preaching, we don't have to have long preaches. Look at Peter, you can read his preach in a few verses. But they miss, with many other words, he persuaded them. Why did he have to do that? Because he's trying to persuade them that, look, this is what we've been waiting for. It looks very, very different. And there's not a political party, and there's not an army, and there's not chariots. But please understand, fellow Jews, Israelites, this is our story with many words. It's a new day. It's a day of fulfillment. It's a new order. Peter says, look, Joel said this is for everyone. 
See, in the story up until that point, you can get a Gideon or a Samson or an Elijah or an Isaiah and they get anointed with the Holy Spirit. The story says that, the Holy Spirit come upon him. Or one prophet had a dream or a vision. One person saw something miraculous. Peter says, this is for everybody. This was revolutionary. We're kind of used to this now, particularly in our kind of churches. But this is revolutionary. This is for men and women. This is for children. This is for servants. So this covers social status, this covers gender, this covers age. The Holy Spirit, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit's for everyone. I just want that to land in some people's hearts now. It's nothing to do with how long you've known Jesus. It's nothing to do with how much you pray or how well you know the Bible. See, Peter says, when they say, what must we do? He talks about them believing, repenting. We'll talk about that in a minute. And he says, and you will receive this gift too. We think, hang on, they've only just believed. Some of them, a few weeks earlier, were crying out for Jesus to be crucified. You know, such is the extent of what Jesus has won for us. That God coming to live in your life through his Holy Spirit is what he has rescued you and saved you for. In the old, have I got time for this? Bless you. Probably not. In the Old Testament, there's the story of where Solomon's temple is built and they go to dedicate it because they want God to come and live in it. The whole point of the temple was for God to live there. We forget that because we're so used to big cathedrals and religious buildings which are cold, majestic architecturally, but there's not a lot in them. That wasn't the point of the temple. The temple was meant to be where God lived. So they do a big ceremony. There's a thousand cattle that get killed, so it's a pretty messy ceremony if you think about it. There's a huge load of trumpeters and choirs that are worshipping, and they don't get to finish. You read the story in 2 Chronicles because it says God comes and dwells in the temple. A cloud comes down and they're all on their faces. The cattle, they're cleansing it, they're making it clean, the shedding of blood to make it clean. Who shed his blood for us? Jesus. What needs cleaning? Lordswood? Well, possibly, but anyway, that's not our job. Your heart, my heart. For what? So we can be in heaven? No, so that God can live in you, the temple. That's what's going on in this chapter. God is stepping out from the Holy of Holies into our hearts. You put your faith in Jesus. You do what Peter says, this repenting, this believing, which I'll come to. Then God lives in you through his Holy Spirit. And that joy, that peace, that courage is to be everyone's experience. Not because you've attained something, but because you've put faith in Jesus. He's not coming to live in a stone brilliantly designed piece of architecture he's coming to live in your heart but it was dirty he couldn't do it before but now he's made it clean that's what's going on it's a new order it's a new temple god living in us it's a new way (coughs) the the people cry out then what must we do notice what peter says because again we're used to the answer prior to the sacrifice of jesus on the cross the answer would have been go to the temple find a bird find a dove a sheep and do the sacrifice. That's what you should do. Peter doesn't say that. There's a new way to know God now. There's a new way to experience his presence. There's a new way to be made whole. There's a new way to be brought into relationship with him. And it doesn't take a ceremony or a ritual or a sacrifice or a priest. It takes faith in Jesus. It's revolutionary on that day. These are Jews. What must we do to receive salvation 
from the wrong things we have done. That's what they're saying. And the answer would have been, go to the temple with her and get the right sacrifice at the market and get the priest to take you through everything. Then you'll be made right. Jesus has taken care of it. It's no more law. It's no more sacrifice. The law has been fulfilled. And because the law has been fulfilled, Jesus sends his spirit to come and live in you and I. That's what I meant about understanding how to live in the story. Although I knew when I came to faith through the brilliant teaching I'd received in the church I was in that Jesus had taken care of it for me, it wasn't long before there was a new set of laws in terms of how I was meant to live as a Christian. There are no laws for how you live as a Christian. You're meant to know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life who produces, as the New Testament says later, fruit gentleness, love, patience, kindness. It's fruit. It's not law. I think you've probably heard me say before, have you ever listened to an apple tree? As the apples are coming. Fruit! I must produce fruit! Oh, apples, come on, work harder! Not heard them say that? They don't say that. The roots are in the good things and the fruit comes. When your roots, what gives you life, is the Holy Spirit is filling your life. The fruit comes. Jesus has fulfilled the law. Holiness, righteousness, how we relate to one another, of course it matters. That part of the story doesn't change. God wants a righteous people displaying that to the world. How it happens has radically changed through Jesus' death, resurrection, and the outpouring of his Holy Spirit. That's why we can't skip this scene of the film and still expect to live in the story. Because it's through the power and work of the Holy Spirit that your life can demonstrate the life of Jesus to people. There is no law. What have they got to do? Put their faith in Jesus. Believe. The word repent, it kind of a, a word we could use these days is reorientate, refocus your whole life. That's what the crowd would have heard. You're going one way, but refocus, totally make what Jesus has done the center. It's full reorientation. We need reminding of that every now and again. Because although that's how we came in with work, how, how we got to know Jesus in the first place, how we came into the church, with work, with pressures in life, with so many other things that we can find fulfillment in, we need to be walking that place of notes. Jesus every day. He is the focus. What he wants is what I'm orientating my life to. Not a Jesus blessing what I want. Not a Jesus blessing my fulfillment on my life goals, but a total reorientation. And Peter says, be baptized. It's part of the package. If you've not been baptized but you believe in Jesus, please be baptized. People sometimes say, well, are you saying if I'm not baptized, I'm not a Christian? No, of course I'm not saying that. The Bible doesn't say that. I get why we ask it, but it's a bit of a silly question because the Bible doesn't ask it. It's faith in Jesus. That's what matters and living that out. But what the Bible does say is part of what it means. Be baptized. It's powerful. Going into the water, dying, being raised again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The final new, which sums up the whole, whole story, and we're finishing with this, this new life. 3,000 come to encounter new life. And it's all about life. Back in Exodus, in chapter 32, 
God has rescued his people from Egypt. He's forming them into a nation that he wants to be a demonstration to the world how to live under God's rule. So he takes Moses up the mountain and he gives Moses what we call the law, the instructions, how to live, how to, to be a demonstration to the world how to live. We call it the Ten Commandments. There was a lot more in it than that, but the Ten Commandments. While he's up there, he's up there a long, long time. Aaron, his right-hand man, lets the people and it encourages them to build a golden calf. They say, look, Moses is gone. We're out of Egypt. What should we worship? Let's worship a calf. Think, Why? Well, of course, that's what would have happened in Egypt. They've kind of brought Egypt with them. So they build this golden calf to worship. Moses then appears down the mountain with God's law God saying, here's how to live. The first one is, have no other gods. <laughs> yeah, whoops, technical expression. I love the way you bring the scholarship in there, Mark, thank you. Whoops, have no other gods. And Moses appears, no other gods, they're worshipping this. Follow the story through, judgment comes, because there is no other alternative. There has to be judgment at that point. 3,000 people die. 3,000 die. When the law was given, the law is righteous, the law is good, the law shows us the way, but all the law does is bring death if you can't fulfill it. It doesn't bring life. You and I know that. That's why we get miserable sometimes when we put ourselves back under the law. Well, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have said this, I shouldn't have thought that, I shouldn't behave like that, and I've got to worship. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have thought this, and Jesus has taken care of it all. Jesus, I'm so sorry. Thank you for taking care of it all. I can worship. The law brought death. 3,000 died. When the Holy Spirit's poured out, when Jesus has fulfilled the law, when Jesus has conquered death, so death doesn't have a hold anymore, when Jesus has taken the judgment that you and I should have had on the cross, there's only one thing left. It's life. And life floods into the city of Jerusalem and 3,000 come to believe. The number isn't an accident. The number is saying, hey, this is the next part of the story. The story up until now has been God saying, live like this, live like this. And the Holy Spirit is working. Grace is still working. People make that mistake and say, oh, we get grace in the New Testament. I like that. No, it was grace that gave the law because none of us deserved it. It's not a different story. God's saying, look, live like this. If you do these sacrifices, there's still power there. There are still people that didn't get killed because they followed the law. But in the end, says God, there's a better way. And the law points to it. And it's meant to bring life. (coughs) And God's rescue plan is coming into the world through this chapter, through the work of the Holy Spirit. People filled with his life and God demonstrating to the world that there's a different way. Not through religious ritual, not even through us singing our songs, not even through us having regular meetings, but through you and I living empowered lives through the Holy Spirit, which means we're free from the law, but righteousness still comes because the Holy Spirit is working through us. We're not living in fear. We can genuinely experience His courage. Not that we're all going to stand on our desks tomorrow morning and preach to thousands, but that we don't have to run away because we think our story lacks credibility. Rather, we can know the power of the Spirit working in us. And if your life isn't filled with, with life at the moment, if there's a heaviness, if there's a tiredness, if there's a weariness, be filled with the Spirit again. I'm not saying that has to come with incredible power and emotion. However he works, 
live in that place of being filled with the Spirit regularly. Your circumstances changing, having a different job, being in a different place or a different set of friends aren't the answer. God's presence in your life is what we have been one for. That's what this chapter's for. Amen.